Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You're listening to a podcast from The Word. Okay, Statwaddy Game, are you going first? All right, I'll go first. And I think we ought to thank, actually, our listener, Baden-Smith, who uh, the other uh, the other week we were talking about Statwaddy Game. We were saying, have we done this before? We can't remember. And Baden-Smith, bless him, went back, oh, yes. Dave, didn't he, and listened to, <laughs> to all of them. And we've done, well, we now know, actually, because he made a, 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 you know, a list of all the ones we've done so far, all the topics. We've done 86 so far. Oh. God, oh, I know. Right. This is the 87th coming up. <laughs> Amazing. I guess it, it, for the benefit of people who've only uh, caught on to it recently, I think, it, if I remember correctly, it began with us airily making jokes about Stackwaddy, uh, kind of uh, anonymous uh, rock band of the early 70s. And somebody got in touch and said, there can't really be a group called Stack Waddy, can there? And therefore, that's how it began. You know, the, the idea is that uh, are these are these names real or are they Memorex? That was the idea. Exactly. One of them that's is fictitious. And actually, it's yeah, kind of expanded well, I, a bit since then. Now, it has, it? Yes. And I've gone into this different format. I'll, I'll give you one now. Okay. 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 Re- reggae sound systems, right? Oh. Especially Jamaican ones, right. tend to have epic cartoonish slightly apocalyptic names right so i give you famous reggae sound system or marvel comic superhero <laughs> okay all right. all right the first one is silverhawk sound system or superhero silverhawk <sighs> superhero it's a it's a sound system yeah. Veteran producers Cle- Cleavy and Steely, they beat Bodyguard in the Guinness Sound of Greatness Sound Clash when relaunched in October 2011. Just telling you. <laughs> Just saying. Okay, second one. Night Nurse. That's a Gregory Isaacs tune, isn't it? Uh, but it can't be a superhero. That's got to be a sound system. No, this is a Gregory Isaacs tune, but it is actually a superhero. <laughs> Linda Carter takes on the moniker Night Nurse in order to help and heal and oh. patch up the superheroes in need. I know. Okay, Black Widow. Oh, superhero. Yep, and super spy Natasha Romanoff, one of S.H.I.E.L.D.'s <laughs> most deadly assassins and a frequent member of the Avengers. You know this stuff. I don't have to tell you that. Doctor Strange. No, no, sorry. Downbeat the Ruler. Downbeat the Ruler. Sound system. Now, the Ruler is indeed a sound system from New York, operated by Tony Screw. It features Brigadier Jerry, Josie Wells and Rankin Joe. Doctor Strange. Uh, superhero. Yep. Sorcerer Supreme, the primary protector of Earth <laughs> against the magical and mystical threats. There we go. <laughs> Aftershock. <laughs> Got to be a sound system. Uh, no, it's two, two female villains. Inheriting oh, their grief. powers from different versions of their father, Electro. Oh, All right. Tom the Great Sebastian. Superhero or sound system? <sighs> sound system. Yep. Yep. Started right. in 1950. 
Brilliant. It's a brilliant name, though. Tom the Great Sebastian, named after a trapeze performer in the Barnum and Bailey Circus. Tony Matterhorn. <laughs> That's a great name. Tony Matterhorn. Come Tony on. Tony Matterhorn. Is that a superhero? That or is, a yeah. No, it's a, yeah. Which do you think? Uh, superhero. No, that's a, he's a dance hall DJ called Dufton Taylor, the man from Mars. <laughs> Two more. Battle Axe. Oh, good grief. Uh, superhero. Yep. Yeah, she's an unlimited class wrestler who carries an axe as her weapon of choice. And you might have guessed that, of course. An Emperor. <laughs> what was that? Emperor Faith. Emperor Faith. Um, uh, sound system. Yeah, it was. It was run by, uh, it's from Kingston in the 70s, run by Mikey Faith, who is Bob Marley's accountant. That's an interesting job. Bob Marley's accountant. <laughs> as our old production editor at Smash Hits used to say, I smell cooking. <laughs> there we go Dave that's very good I don't know whether you won or you didn't win I think you won probably very good I'm going to counter with I want you to picture this okay I want you to picture an American cityscape from the uh, from the 40s or the 50s okay you're on the outskirts of an industrial town in the far in the background, you can see the smoke rising from the chemical plant. Okay, and coming down a road, rutted road towards you, is a beaten up old Cadillac going through the potholes in the road, heading towards a small, a small house in the foreground. Okay, and the man gets out of the car, and as he looks up at the house. A shapely female figure emerges from the door to the sound of a frowsy saxophone. And he can see her outline through the screen door. <laughs> and a single shot rings out because we're in the world of American film noir. OK, Mark? Oh, this is good. This and is so you good. have to decide whether these titles are classic American film noir or lesser-known Bruce Springsteen songs. Oh, okay. very good. Very good. Which of the two? Okay. Here we go. Here's the first one. Yeah. They they drive by night. That's a film they noir. Uh, it is. It's I when must one of, be. When it, one of they two drive, truck, they anything. You know, yeah. When one that. of two truck-driving brothers loses an arm, they both join the transport company uh, where later one of them is falsely charged as an accessory in the murder of the owner. Okay. Murder, murder Incorporated. Murder Incorporated. Is that a classic American film noir? Or unless no Bruce Springsteen <laughs> These are song. Great. These are great. That's another film. I'm s i am swear to God that's a film. I, I, I don't think that's a murder incorporated. No, I don't that sounds like a, a movie title. No, it's a Bruce Springsteen song. Uh, okay. It was tacked, tacked on the greatest hits uh, made in 1982. Strangers on a Train. Strangers on a Train. Is that a classic American film noir or a lesser known Bruce Springsteen song? You see, I don't now see, I don't see the the, the, the industrial backdrop of Gary, Indiana, belching <laughs> sulfurous fumes into the air. I, I see Bruce Springsteen. I'm sorry. Am I right? No, no, it's a, it's a Hitchcock film, actually. A psychopath forces a tennis star to comply with his theory that two strangers can get away with a murder. Really okay. good. These are Move. really good. Fantastic. <laughs> Moving on. Um, Wages of Sin. Wages of Sin. Is that a classic American film noir or a lesser-known Bruce Springsteen song? I've got a strong feeling that it's Bruce Springsteen, but, I mean, I, I, I ought to know this, but I, I guess what I'm guessing. It's a Bruce Springsteen song that was on the tracks set in, in, in 1998. But you can hear but, that voice, can't you? The trailer, Wages of Sin. Wages of, so they here we check go. in, but they never check out. Is this, is this a classic American film noir or a lesser-known Bruce Springsteen song? Pick up on South Street. Pick up on South Street. Oh, God, that sounds... It sounds so Bruce Springsteen. That's precisely the kind of thing his uh, his twenty year old imagination would have been rattling with. I would have thought. But then we haven't had very many. I'm going to say Springsteen again, but I'm probably wrong. It's a 1953 film in which a pickpocket unwittingly lifts a message destined for enemy agents and becomes a target for a communist spying. Yes. <laughs> Kiss Me Deadly. Is that a classic American film noir or a lesser known Bruce Springsteen? Film noir. Film noir. It, it is, 1953. A doomed yeah. female female hitchhiker 
pulls Mike Hammer into a deadly whirlpool of intrigue. You'd okay. see it though, wouldn't you? You would. God. You would. Past the toffees, I'm in. Thundercrack. Well, thunder anything with thunder crack. in it has got to be Bruce Springsteen, surely. <laughs> it is. I mean, it that's is. a bit of a, a, a Springsteen riff, isn't it? That's great. That's great. <laughs> okay. And finally, The Sweet Smell of Success. Is that a classic American film noir? Or are well, it doesn't sound like a film noir title somehow, because it doesn't sound... Um, G- gloomy and uh, and uh, complicated and grisly enough, so I'm I'm going for Bruce. No, it's a film. It's a great film, actually. It tells the story of a powerful and sleazy newspaper newspaper columnist who is, uses his connections to ruin his sister's relationship with a man he deems unworthy of her. Very good. That's are. a genius one. Really inspired. Fantastic. So come on, we're okay. even. We're even. Uh, yeah, we are even. Honours are, are definitely even. So, uh, I've been watching. Um, what she? What did she call Friend it? Friend Leibovitz. Pretend it's it's a city. I've been watching it too. Series of half hour little films on yeah. Netflix, directed by Martin Scorsese and uh, Fran Leibovitz, the uh, the great American New York columnist, kind of. Um, well, public speaker, really. I think is probably what she does as much as anything else. And uh, it's just, uh, it's loads of uh, shots of New York, isn't it? Loving shots from New York and, and loads of really good music and her being, um, being very kind of pungent in her points she makes about how people live in the city, used to live in the city, live in the city nowadays. And uh, I tell you, one thing that's struck me, there's, there's loads of old clips, obviously, and uh, and they want to have the New York Dolls in it, don't they? And so yeah. these, these are two great figures of New York, Martin Scorsese and Fran Leibovitz, and they want to celebrate the New York Dolls. Where do they get the clips from, that. Mark? I know. I thought Where it was so funny it... because the whole programme is... Obviously, it's about New York. It's about... about the, And they are. They're chosen because not just their name. They are the essence of New York. Essence of New York. They're kind of, and the you know, they're deviant and they're radical and they're kind of, you know, they're, they're outsiders, you know. And the clip comes from Old Grey Whistle Test. Oh, it Isn't was it? shot... It was shot at the television centre. Shepherd's the, Bush. Probably continuity C, I think, I think, as they used to call it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, up at the top of the place. Yeah. Uh, in Wood Lane, Shepherd's Bush. I know. So the only clip, clearly, the only clip of the New York Dolls must have been when they came over when they came over to Britain, which is pretty remarkable, really, isn't it? When you well, there's it. stuff on YouTube from America, but it's just not very good quality, is it? I mean, that's just... Oh, that's, is it not? That's, yeah, that's studio sound and studio cameras, and it's... Well, it's, it's, it's mimed, I think, really, but it's studio quality visuals. Was um, it mimed? God, I haven't looked at it very carefully. Is that... Oh, well, maybe... Mind maybe yeah, an old grey whistle test, they would. I think early on, they would have done. Early, I mean, if you, if you go and see... I mean, very early, particularly when they're doing it in really small studios. I may be wrong about that one, but, oh, it, right. but if you look at like the early clips of the, the first uh, Whalers um, thing that they did at Whistle Test, I think that was mine. Um, it, certainly, it certainly sounds like it. But anyway, I may be wrong about that. But it, it was, I just thought that was intriguing, the idea that, that the only bits that they had in the New York Dolls came from Wood Lane. Wood Lane, Shepherd's Bush, uh, but I I did enjoy it. I I do like her a lot. I think she's. Uh... I think she's fantastic, actually, because it's <laughs> all it is is it's seven episodes, isn't it? And it's just her walking around New York and pontificating about New York City. She's either out in the street or it's old clips that you say of her, you know, being interviewed or whatever, or Scorsese sitting in a club talking to her. And what interests me is is what is it about New York that's so different from anywhere else? Because everything about New York City seems to be. Um, Kind of radical and uh, and, uh, and and on the edge and uh, and a huge cultural significance and ahead of the curve and there's no real equivalent anywhere on the world you know there, there couldn't be a it's like the New Yorker magazine you read talk at the town and there's a you know little sections where overheard picking up the kids from school in Greenwich Village and everything seems to be so hip and forward thinking and there's no equivalent to that you couldn't have a magazine called the Londoner because London doesn't have that 
that character, does it? Doesn't doesn't represent the same no, kind of thing. Not. I mean, in London's London's a great sprawling geographical area, and actually, New York City is really only two square miles, going from yeah. around kind of Greenwich Village just up beyond the park, isn't it? So yeah, yeah. Uh, I thought it was interesting, and she talks about you know the and she doesn't try to be funny just by being flip and surreal or taking a stand that she doesn't really believe in. She's just down, it's down to earth wisdom, isn't it? You know, that stuff about, you know, her, her, her subway stations being, being done up, uh, being closed for five months to be, to be, to be repaired. Whereas the subway itself doesn't really work, but the subway, because they're putting an art installation in there. You know, she said, this is, this is what we need now, now. No public transport would be better. We're going to have some art installations in the station, you know. Yeah. But the sand yeah. sun lounges in Times Square. But she, no, she's great, I think. She's really good. And she talks about, um, talks a lot about music, doesn't she? She was a friend yeah. of Charles Mingus and uh, she gets a little pleasure from music. And she says that, that of all the arts, music is the one that makes people happiest. And, um, which I was really interesting. Well, and she made a really good point. She says it, 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 most things that make you happy are bad for you. And uh, music isn't. It's one of those few things that makes you happy and is really good for you. That's quite an interesting <laughs> point, actually. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's wonderful, the stuff about Mingus. It's a bit where she goes to a, a Mingus show and he sees her. They've had an argument. He sees her in the audience and jumps off stage and pursues <laughs> her down 20 blocks down the street, running after her. And eventually, they're both so exhausted, they kind of collapse. There's a silence. They're kind of puffing and panting. And he goes, hey, do you want to eat? She goes, you're meant to be on stage. People are paying <laughs> There's a load of people back there waiting know, for you to finish it. Absolutely brilliant. And there's a lovely bit. I mean, talk about the high-caliber name she drops. At one point, she says she has... How old is she now? She's about 70, I think. She has She's breakfast 70. with Duke Ellington and Charles Mingus. And it's breakfast Mingus. with them. You think that is that's something else, isn't it? Incredible. <laughs> but no, a lot you about music. Say, you'd be just if you if you were having breakfast with Ellington and, uh, and Mingus, you'd just be sitting there getting on with your toast, wouldn't you, really? You you just you wouldn't attempt to contribute, would you? Really? No, but just... she made a really interesting point about Charles Mingus, that Charles Mingus was very arrogant, huge ego, really kind of massive sense of self-importance. But in the, com in this, in the, in the company of, of Duke Ellington, he was meek, mild, wasn't he, subservient? Completely but you see, deferential. don't you think, doesn't that always happen with musicians? That musicians what, pecking order? really quickly detect the, the pecking order. Yeah. Uh, you know, if there's somebody in the room who's more prestigious than they are, they slightly shut up. Yeah. Because they know that, you know what I mean? It's like we often say this, you know, that if you have a room full of rock legends and then you introduce Bob Dylan, yeah. everybody, everybody else just steps back a little bit, don't they? Which, it's, in fact, happened in the Travelling Wilburys. There's no doubt about it. When you see the footage of the Travelling Wilburys, you know, and that's the group that's got Roy Orbison in it, for God's sake. But when Dylan says or does anything, they're all... George Harrison completely in awe of it. It's, <laughs> it's really sweet. It's George Harrison's yeah. band, really. No, absolutely yeah. true. It's fascinating, man. Fascinating. The Word Podcast. Prime cuts of popular culture served fresh each week. OK, we're back. Uh, and joined by Alex Gold, as usual. And as unusual, Sam Pope. Uh, thank you very much for being with us, gentlemen. Now, most podcasts are, are very keen to tell you that they got their finger on the pulse. I'm very keen to tell you that I don't have my finger on the pulse at all. But I'm dimly aware that within the last week, everybody's been talking about sea shanties. OK, <laughs> and so Sam and Alex, between you can tell me about what's been going on with sea shanties over the last week. Because, Sam, you've done one, haven't you? Tell <laughs> us about this. Yeah, so uh, I don't know quite why, but they are uh, becoming quite a trend at the moment. <laughs> um, and particularly on, on the app TikTok, uh, they've, they've completely blown up. And there's been a lot of, uh, quite a few people that, whose accounts have, have grown massively uh, just over the past maybe two or three weeks, uh, and, and myself included, luckily, I, I, I just literally posted one uh, TikTok sea shanty uh, of an Alan Doyle song um, from the Robin Hood film called Row Me Bully Boys Row. 
uh, and a huge amount. I think it ended up with over a million streams and uh, I think it was something like four or 5,000 people have, have duetted with the video, which is uh, <laughs> a feature you can do on TikTok where you literally just add another video on top of the, of the last one and, and try and contribute something to it. Um, but it's, yeah, it started, it's didn't it start with a guy called uh, Nathan Evans, a, 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 a Scottish post, right. there's a group called the, 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 uh, the Longest Johns in Bristol, who've had a lot of success, mm. but Nathan Evans started it, didn't he? That's I think. right. He's a folk well, he, musician, he just recorded one sea shanty last summer, I think, and it suddenly took right. off from there. He did, right? the, uh, he did the Wellerman, and, uh, and yeah. he, he recorded, I mean, he's, he's fantastic, like, he, he recorded very well, and then, uh, it, it, yeah, again, like, the, the duet feature just kind of ran away with it and and there's there's all these videos of um i don't know if you've ever seen it but when you when you the original video starts on the side of the screen and then you add the next one and the next one and it's, yeah. it's almost like one of those mirror effects where you can just see it disappearing off into the distance um and it's it's astonishing the amount of people that got involved with with that trend um but it's it's blown up to the point where i think he's he's been on um news programs and and the radio and is releasing an album and all sorts of things off the back of just one song which is which is incredible but what's your theory as to why those have those have just sort of caught the public imagination then i think there's a couple there's a couple that i've come across uh, uh, i think that there there's been a release of a couple of uh, viking style games recently uh, assassin's creed valhalla um, which is very popular. There's a series called Vikings. The, the last se- um, episode of the last season was the end of last year in December. Um, I think that's probably played a part in popular culture. But also, I feel more importantly, um, it's the nature of sea shanties. I think sea shanties were were written to to help sailors uh, go through these tedious journeys over long distances um, and and stave off boredom. And I think. That's pretty much exactly what the world is. And they're also they're about they're about group physical activity, aren't they? They're they're meant to accompany the you know pulling in of ropes and the and rowing of whaling boats and stuff. So there's a sense of of kind of community, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. And the fact that you know not all sailors had beautiful voices, and the songs weren't written for people who have uh, you know astonishing range. So they're they're meant for everyone to be able to sing. And, and I think the duet feature on TikTok has just run away with that completely because absolutely everyone and anyone is, is, is contributing, which is fantastic. Like I've had, yeah. Personally, I've had, I've had so many comments on, on my videos saying, uh, oh, I've never done a, a TikTok duet, but I absolutely have to do this one. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it's, and it's amazing because you get to go, sit, go through and see people that wouldn't dare dream outside of their own shower suddenly deciding that they're going to film themselves and put it on online for everyone to see which is so which it's, is a, it's, a, it's effectively community singing isn't it by yeah, it using is. new technology absolutely so tell me, yeah. when you when you first did it had you presumably you've used tiktok before and when you're doing yeah. things i mean you're an actor a musician you know, you're, you're presumably doing things partly for your, your own amusement, but you're also thinking, well, one of these might, you know, might get a bit of yeah, a... absolutely. A I, just never, <laughs> I just never thought it would be sea shanties. <laughs> but, well, no, quite. So is this... It, I mean, you've done things on TikTok before, but this is the biggest one, presumably. Mm, absolutely, yeah. Okay. I mean, I've been, I've been uh, on for about three Did months. you rehearse it? Did you rehearse it? First of all, this is what intrigues me with this stuff. Yeah. When I look at it, I think, my God, I don't have the brain, let alone the skills, to do that kind of thing. Are do are the people who do these things, are they doing them first and then throwing them away and saying, no, I can do it better. No, I can do it better. Or are I they just know. putting it out there? I don't know. I mean, I can only speak from personal experience. I think for me, uh, I've been on the app for about three months, maybe, maybe four um, and the first set of videos I was doing, I was just doing little videos, duetting other people's stuff and just contributing and adding vocal lines or, or little comedy skits or whatever. Um, and then I started uh, trying to figure out how to use editing software uh, for, and, and music software. So I started playing around a bit and doing some covers and playing instruments and editing it all together and all this kind of stuff and spending a lot of time doing it and maybe spending three or four days editing one video to post oh, really? um okay. yeah so that was and that but that was partly for my own sake as well you know it wasn't yeah, it wasn't it was so sure, much it was sure. it was a, a learning curve um but the particularly when i got to the sea shanty stuff 
it's there's such simple videos to be able to create now like you don't have to put a lot of uh, have a lot of equipment or put a lot of time in um and i literally i think i set up one camera i have um one my condenser microphone that i have set up next to the camera i've bought a drum kit recently as well that i've now got in my little studio space so i put that next to my desk i've got the kick drum and i i literally use the kick drum to keep beat and sing the melody straight into the camera, record it all through one mic and then put it into Logic and layer on some harmonies and, and chorus work on top of it, um, which relatively I can get, I think about three or four shanties done in one evening if I, if I so chose. Three or four shanties the, a night. <laughs> yeah, which is rate. mental. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy compared to the old work rate. Um, I think people in general, the thing about the app, about TikTok in particular, is that it's not so much about having a polished article. There are people out there that put out content that they they spend hours and hours and hours creating. But there's also people that on the spare of the moment just pick up their phone, film something because they think it's funny or film something of them singing or, or whatever and then and then upload it straight away. And I think it's, it's great to see the mix of content where you have some really captivating uh, footage that someone's edited together and really well shot and well lit and everything. And then the next video will be just as if I'm holding my phone now, filming myself around my house yeah, and someone yeah, showing sure. you something funny their dog did. So it's, uh, it's, <laughs> yeah, it is, um, it is a great, you know, a great way of seeing a, a whole mix of content. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. So what will you be doing next? Or don't you know? <laughs> uh, well, right now, I'm going to ride this wave, pardon the pun, of, uh, of sea shanties. And um, I think the next one I'm going to do, I've been working on doing some pop uh, or modern songs and turning them into sea shanty form. You've done that. Uh, You've done an Eminem song, haven't you? I in did. Sea yeah. shanty version. It's great. Yeah. So I did "Lose Yourself" by Eminem. Yeah. Uh, so what are you did... what are you planning to do next then? Um, well, I just really, I literally yesterday just posted uh, the Fresh Prince of Bel Air rap as a sea <laughs> shanty. So, <laughs> so that one seems to be doing quite well. We'll have to That's wait and see really how that funny. that turns out. Um, and I've got another. A couple of people have asked me to to write a Star Wars shanty as well nice. so <laughs> i might look into that um particularly because uh part it's, and this is another thing that started off as a as just casual and, and a little bit of a joke i started starting all my videos saying hello there but saying it as ewan mcgregor says it in one of the first star wars films there's it's because that's quite a popular meme on 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 tiktok in particular so i just go hello there and then that's the beginning of every one of my videos now and it's i'm getting constant um comments saying oh general kenobi or general grievous all these quotes <laughs> from star wars so i feel like i probably have to do that one at some point um so maybe that's the next one i'll work on well you know all the very best with it thank, thank very, you very much thank you for joining us and uh, pleasure. shining some light in my dog education mark Allen, mark Allen knew all about it i didn't Sam Pope, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks very much for having me. Good applause, Zoom Thanks, radio Sam. style. Thank you. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. Thank you. This is a junction in the Word podcast. It separates that bit 
from this next bit. I've got a, we've, um, we've had a very nice bit of press, haven't we? Uh, from GQ, from the GQ website. Yeah, it's wonderful. Why, why Word in Your Ear is the best music podcast on the internet, which is, you know, harsh but fair. And, uh, <laughs> and I, I tweeted this. Uh, like, uh, you know, I'm not going to hide our light under a bushel. Why should we? Uh, and I've been delighted by some of the responses. Uh, somebody said, I drive, I'm reading this for you. I drive a lorry for a living and find music radio is very little for me. I devour audiobooks and podcasts and yours is the one I look forward to the most. And, and what I thought you'd like is, is nom de Twitter of this person who drives lorries for a living is Percy Filth. Percy Phil. Uh, <laughs> again, three more from them. Yeah, yeah absolutely. That's great. Three more from them uh, after the news. Uh, what was it you were telling me about Danny Boyle, Mark? Oh, well, Danny Boyle, I mean, that just really interests me because the success of Rocket Man and uh, Bohemian Rhapsody has started a gold rush in, in rock biopics because they were huge, hugely successful films. And so now there's obviously a big rush on to get out the next lot of biopics. And, and there've been two on the Sex Pistols already. There was The Filth and the Fury, wasn't there? Um, there was a Sid and Nancy, which did quite well. But, but Danny Boyle, he's about to start shooting. He's cast, he's about to start shooting uh, a, a film version of the story of the Sex Pistols, which I think will do really well. It just made me think there are so many, I mean, there've been quite, quite a few biopics already, but there are so many haven't been made. Nobody's made one about um, about uh, Fleetwood Mac yet. Why not? Wouldn't that be great? Fleetwood Mac, the love pentangle. Well, I mean, it'd be brilliant, wouldn't it? Blondie. I mean, what a story. Can I, can I just say, I just push against this slightly. Go on. Which is that most band stories have unhappy endings. And films crave happy endings. So if you leave people with a downbeat ending, that's not why people buy tickets to go to the cinema. Fleetwood Mac's got a happy ending. Blondie's got a happy ending. Ramones, uh, maybe not so. <laughs> <laughs> Sex Pistols, Sex Pistols, certainly not so. Hasn't there? Um, I'm sure there's been a Keith Moon. No, you could end with the reunion of the Sex Pistols. I think Sex Pistols is a good story. Surviving Sex Pistols are all having reasonably good lives. They got together, they did their kind of... Uh, you know, they're, they're, they're whatever it's called, contractual, filthy, what was it called? The Filthy Liquor, I can't remember. Yeah, Filthy Liquor. Yeah, Luca, the Filthy Liquor Tour, yeah. No, I mean, I think a lot of them have got great endings, you know. And you can you can engineer a, a, a happy ending. Fleetwood Mac, I mean, that's a great story. There's been a few people dropped by the wayside, but I mean, yes, otherwise, it's just, just a hilarious. Bit, just a bit. <laughs> it's been, it's just laughs all the way. Yeah, apart, from the, apart from the many deaths and so forth. Um, but Blondie, honestly, you think of the events that happened in Blondie's life. The Hall of Fame in 2006, if I remember rightly, Frank Infant and Nigel Harrison and Gary Valentine all turned up and they weren't really members of the band, but they were invited by the Hall of Fame anyway to see the group get the, the recognition and they were going to play, the band were going to play. And then they came up and tried to get on stage and asked to come on stage and play with the band in publicly in front of all those people, televised. I mean, that's just an epic piece of film that's making way to happen, it? isn't it? It's fantastic. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Uh, and I the Ramones. Know. I mean, I know the Ramones doesn't have a terribly happy ending, but what an incredible story. We need to know that. You know, one of them, I think it was Joey, stole Johnny's girlfriend, didn't he, 20 years uh, before the end of the group, and that they barely spoke to each other ever again. You know, they would so travel to gigs, and, you know, and they never, they never made enough money that they could live the luxury of being able to travel in separate vehicles and be in different hotels and avoid each other apart from being on stage. They had to kind of just rub along together for 20 years after all this friction. It's fantastic. DD's a film in himself as well. What's that? I thought DD Ramon would be a film in himself. Yes, he would, yeah. Well, I mean... I think there's been a Keith Moon film in development for, God, it must be about a decade. Mike Myers is meant to be involved. and Yeah. I keep seeing references to it, references to its production or pre-production in various papers. See, I, 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 it, it, that will not happen right at this moment. I mean, I, I don't mean the pandemic moment, but celebrating Keith Moon as a hero, knowing what we know about Keith Moon, it's a very difficult sell. Nowadays. Yeah, yeah, very difficult. It it's is more, you know, <laughs> a lot of things he did were really unpleasant. Um, you know, fantastic drummer, 
the group would not have been the group without him. But, you know, that's not what biopics are about, is it? No. They're about celebrating heroes. You know? Well, all right, here's some others. Rod Stewart. Rod Stewart biopic. Why not? Led Zeppelin. It would work. The Who, yeah. possibly. The Who. It would be great, yeah. Deep Purple. I mean, these are all fantastic stories. Can it, I throw in a sweet... happy endings. You can engineer a happy ending. Can I th throw in a sweeping statement, which I'll ask for Alex to either confirm or deny based on his experience of being a band. You talk about the Ramones being exceptional because one member slept with another member's girlfriend, wife, whatever. I'm saying not exceptional at all. I'm saying pretty much all groups, one member steals another member's partner. Oh, I think so. It was the end of Japan, wasn't it? Wasn't it Japan? Was it, I think, oh, was it really? Well, yeah, I'm pretty sure it was. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's it's pretty frequent, but if you you know if you think about the environments most bands you know, form themselves in, most of them are you know pretty frequently in a state where they don't really know what they're doing. So and, and this this makes situations like that eminently more possible. So yeah, it's kind of maybe not so much now because I think I think musicians the the, the next the, the generation below me of musicians are generally more rounded people, uh, a lot younger. Um, but certainly when I was when I were a lad, um, it was pretty normal for a little bit of um, swapage and. But also, if you're in a band and you're touring, you're in that little bubble where you only ever get to socialise with, or get to know, or spend any amount of time with a very, very select number of people. Yeah, so that's yeah. where you, uh, you know that's that's why you know if it isn't too much of a cliche or a generalisation, but I think it's true. It's why most women in bands who front bands tended to have relationships with people in those bands because they kind of felt safe with the, these yeah. the people they got to know and travel with were on the tour bus, you know. But also and, uh, there's, there's the mentality of survival as well, I think, because, you know, most most bands are poor. And, you know, when you're poor, you sort of take what you, take what you, what you can get when you can get it. You know, and this applies to eating, washing, you know. If, if you think that someone might fancy you, my God, you're going to go for it while while you know it's while you know that window opportunity is open because you don't know when the next one might be. You know, it's that kind of mentality. <laughs> like like your attitude to food, isn't it, Alex? On on tour, if food is presented, eat it eat because it. you eat never eat know. All musicians do that. You, like, you don't know when the next meal is coming. Just a massive meal. You always end up, you know, an, an eight pack of brew dog or whatever it is because because you don't know when the next time you get absolutely to get some. <laughs> get some beers in you know uh, so so relating all this to uh some somebody we talked to this week uh i still insist going about the stories of bands the beatles is the best story of bands yes it, 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 because it starts and it finishes yeah and it, it doesn't finish too unhappily really i mean i know there's a certain amount of bitterness there but it it's all it's all triumph they never declined they never had to come back or anything can just, like that. Can I just interject and, and confess that uh, at the end of the anthology, when, when Ringo says, you know, at the end of the day, we were just four guys who loved one another. I shed a little tear. Yeah. Well. Ashamed of. Nothing to be ashamed of at all. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, perfect story. And so we're oh, talking to oh. Tom Holland Tom Holland this week in Word of Your Attic about... Uh, he, he he wants to write a history book, doesn't he, about where the Beatles fit into this, to all this, in the history of kind of Western thought and Western. He was belief. so interesting about it. The thing about really talking about the Beatles in the in the shadow of the Second World War was so interesting, because you know yeah. he was saying how radical their message, the kind of all you need is love message was, yeah. because they were born during the war. They you know there's that. That they on the way to Hamburg, they stopped, didn't they, with Lord Woodbine and visited the War Memorial. You know, they they just grew up with the shadow, John Winston Lennon, you know, the whole thing, and the fact yeah. that they were writing that that that, that those songs that uh, that uh, about about a kind of unifying love after all that had a real significance at the time, which we probably don't appreciate now. Another thing Tom Holland said is he started the song uh, every day, didn't he, Dave, by playing two particular yeah. songs. He played "Good Day Sunshine" and "Here Comes the Sun," because he said the value of happy music was so crucial at the moment. I thought it was really Definitely. interesting. I went and put on Good Day Sunshine after that. And it made me think what a fantastic lyricist McCartney is. We take a walk, the sun is shining down, burns my feet as they touch the ground. It's just, that's a great lyric, isn't it? Do you think? Just yeah, thrown yeah. away. It's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Brilliant song. 
And oddly enough, he's the man with bare feet on the cover of Abbey Road, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Never thought yeah. about that. Burns but I, I remember doing a, a, we did a piece in Word um, about songwriters. And, and one of the things that I asked various people was, is it more difficult to write a happy song than a sad song? And uh, Katie Lang said, as a society, we have trained ourselves to think that melancholy produces better art. And that was a really good point. And it's, really it, it extends to everything. It's exactly Absolutely. the same as the Oscars. You know, is it easier to get an Oscar for bridesmaids or for my left foot? You know, oh, the answer is my obviously left my left foot. You know, <laughs> because little... any film about suffering or sorrow or melancholy or, um, you know, or, or any kind of internal navigation is considered to be more substantial and more worthwhile than anything that's just funny. I mean, how many comedians got Oscars? Did Steve Martin ever get one? No, he had one of those specially invented Oscars. He never got an Oscar for any of the films he was in. In terms <laughs> Whereas, of writing, though, may, you know, isn't um, aren't the the, the, ne the emotions we see as negative aren't, aren't they st more strongly felt? So, is it not easier to to come up with something that's that's a little bit yearning or melancholy than it is to come up with something happy, which which maybe doesn't give writers the same push? No, I I think that's absolutely true, and also I think you could argue that that part of the appeal of music a lot of the time is it's something you listen to on your own. It's a solitary thing. You don't necessarily listen to music en masse or with, well, particularly these days, with people in, in you know, a large number of people in the room. You listen to it on your own. And therefore, it's about, it's about solitary experience, which tends to be more melancholy than it is about just... Solitary, solitary listening. I, I did my latest album from Dave's book list last night. All oh, right, go on. Where are you, th where are you this week? For the very first time, I listened to uh, the Kinks' uh, uh, Something Else. All right. All right. And two things good, I took away. Good record. Go on. Yeah. Uh, uh, a, how absolutely underrated Ray Davies' voice is. It's All right. When you zone in on it, it's really super expressive. And I remember when I was a child, actually, I heard really you really got me for the first time. And there was something about the way he sung it which really, really appealed to me. It just there was just something in the tone and the delivery of his voice that just uh, it just sounded interesting, even to like an eight year old who knew nothing about music and didn't really care, you know. Um but listening to, you know, Waterloo Sunset as a grown up and listening to his voice, he just he's 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 he, Obviously, the you know he's he's one of the great lyricists, but the way he delivers those stories could not be delivered by anybody else. He's got one of the great great British voices, I I think, um, and it's not sung enough. Um, but also how shoddy some of the playing was, and how a good mix <laughs> can really sort that out because some of some of it's so sloppy. I mean, again, what by which member of the group? Who are we uh, calling into question here? Uh, Pete Quaife is a, li a little bit either side of the beat. Um, and it, it, sometimes the bass lines sound a little bit like he's just sort of catching up with himself. Um, but Dave Davis is really sloppy, actually. And, and right. Ray was no great shakes as a guitarist. That's basically. <laughs> so basically, they're, they're, they're all. Nobody talk, looks to the Kinks though for inter, I, instrumental prowess, do they? They just no, look to them. No, but, they're just about songs and stories, you know, beautifully they, told. Yeah, but looking at looking at it from a musical point of view, you kind of expect all great bands' records to be. Yeah, robustly put together, but actually, you know what you don't realise is a lot of the playing on those records is pretty sloppy. Yeah, and um, the way they're mixed and the way they're produced. Obviously, the songs, you know, the songs being strong really helps, but um, but it's easy to overlook how how you know when you're a, always, a, a King's record in those days would have been put together in a week. Hold the port. Yeah, yeah, um, absolutely. Really fast. Well, uh, Ray uh, Davis uh, talks uh, about the pressure they were under just being a hit machine and just having to they you know they had to like the Beatles you know except the Beatles somehow did it with with the in slightly more relaxed fashion you know literally you wrote in your diary Tuesday write a hit Wednesday record it you know what I mean yeah, yeah. Friday write another one <laughs> wasn't um please please me the album recorded in an afternoon it was done in day. 12 hours I think 10 hours 12 hours one day one day so great happy songs tightrope by Janelle Monet good um, vibrations I'd get around. Ichiku Park. Wouldn't it be nice? Here's a great one. Or California Dreaming. But here's a great one. Daydream. But I love it. Spoonful. What is wrong with that song? Nothing. Daydream Believer by the Monkees. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Happy, happy by Pharrell. Happy by Pharrell. Yeah, it's a bit of a giveaway in the title. 
but they're you know they're they're at a premium at the moment. They really are. Well, I, I tell you what, I tell you what, it's a bit of a cliche, but uh, because there was a period of time when it seemed to be used as incidental music on the television absolutely all the time, but for me, it never lost its appeal. Is U 2s beautiful day? Oh right, yeah, oh, yeah, actually. It, it's a fantastic explosion of happiness. Yeah, walking on sunshine is the same thing. It's walking know. on sunshine, very much so. Yeah, it's instant happiness. You know, Lulu's version of going shout. Back, going back to the happiness thing, I tell, tell you where this is most interesting to me is in comedy nowadays. Now there used to be a time when, if you wanted to be a comedian, you started at the age of about twelve, and then you went to the halls and you. <laughs> served your apprenticeship and so forth. Nowadays, if you want to be a comedian, you go to university first. And, uh, and you know, because that's the way to approach comedy. And so comedians as a breed nowadays take themselves fantastically seriously. Yeah, they do. And one of the ways that they justify doing what they do for a living is claiming that what they do has some element of kind of social criticism about it. That they think the job of comedy is to confront ideas and to just sort of upset people and to be provocative. No, it's not. The job of comedy is really, really simple. Make me laugh. Now it may do all those other things as well, but if it doesn't make me laugh, it's not comedy. And so if you watch Morecambe and Wise, you know, their old clips on YouTube, there is no, there's no social criticism there whatsoever. It, it's not about anything but itself. It's not about anything but just the delight in being funny. And, uh, and that's all part of the same argument, it seems to me. That, uh, and it sort of happened with rock bands. That once rock bands started going to university, they then had to tell you that what they did was not just fun, it was important. Because they, they were burdened with this idea that they had to suffer for their art. You know what it's I mean? Absolutely now it's true. It's completely true. There are comedians like Lee Mack, who never get any credit at all, who are genuinely funny, and very, very witty and spontaneous guy. Never gets any credit because all his stuff is kind of considered to be superficial. He doesn't represent anything. I think I think that's absolutely right. Now, to be a successful comedian, you've got to be you're, you're being funny about some complicated about social something. issue or whatever. It's an issue that you, that's what I do. I look at this and I somehow get some humour out of it. You know. Also, the other thing about comedians, I think, is it's so difficult being labelled a comedian. I was reading an interview with Richard Osman, the quiz master and now very yeah. successful novelist, uh, the other day, and he was saying that he never calls himself a comedian because he says if I go on panel shows. And then I say something funny. People think, well, that's great. This guy said something funny. But if you're a comedian, he's not a comedian. He's not billed as a comedian. But if you're billed as a comedian, you're the pressure to be funny. So that idea, have you ever met somebody at a party who says, well, you say, well, you, I'm a comedian. And you kind of think, well, that's so different from saying I'm a musician. Because if I'm a musician, they don't have to prove then and there yeah. that, they're, that they're a successful no. one. Because no. the definition of a comedian is somebody who, as you say, makes somebody laugh. You're looking at them thinking, are you? Are you really? You know, must be miserable. Yeah, it must Pretty be horrible. horrible. Well, that's why none of us will ever be comedians. So, uh, what else is happening in the word of word in your ear and uh, word in your attic, uh, Alex? We've uh, we've just done Andy Miller this week. We did yeah. Tom Holland this week. Uh, remind me, go on. We did Graham Golden. Uh, yeah, of course. Of it course, was terrific. The, was the great Graham Golden. Oh, he was fantastic. Uh, and um, we got more more of that stuff coming up over the next few weeks. the The quiz goes from strength to strength, doesn't it? Now incorporating not just visual clues, but also audio clues. And so that takes place every Friday evening at six o'clock. It's an ideal ending to the week. Uh, and so, if you haven't taken part in it, do take part in it in the future. If you want to take part in it. That's open to Patreon supporters. And if you want to know at what level you might like to get involved as a Patreon supporter, if you go to patreon.com slash word in your ear, uh, we might even be in time to celebrate your birthday by shinning down the digital chimney 
shinning down the digital drain pipe and providing a bit of a word in your attic in your own personal personal service absolutely personal service which we extend to you so if you hadn't already looked into that uh do so sorry alex carry on we have some new patrons actually uh oh good 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 uh like to welcome uh sam hollingsworth very good welcome Welcome, Sam sam hollingsworth mark osborne terrific mark osborne nice to have you kevin rose Good man. Kevin, I, th- I thought you were about to say Kevin Rowland for a second with Kevin Rowland. <laughs> okay. Andy Parker. I thought you were going to say Andy Partridge. Going to say yeah, Andrew yeah, Partridge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Andy Parker. Yeah, so, we're particularly so you... open to people whose names sound a little bit like pop stars yes. in the 1980s. Yeah, yeah. Nicholas Davidson. All Nicholas right. Nicholas Davidson. Good to have him. Paul Knox. Paul Excellent. Knox. And Emerson Rogers. And Emerson, Emerson Rogers, what a great Park. name. Emerson Rogers is like a, a president of the United States in the 18th century. Very good. Okay. We should also so, mention that we're, we're, we're plotting a Patreon-only um, gathering, aren't we, for the next couple of weeks? We are. Oh, we, we are. are. With more details of that in the next few days. So uh, make sure you investigate at patreon.com slash word in your ear. And uh, welcome on board. Hello there, here's another shanty rap. Now this is a story all about how my life got flipped, turned upside down. I'll take just a minute, boys, sit ye right there. I'll tell ye the tale of the Prince of Bel-Air. Row, boys, yo, boys. A story with characters rare. Row, boys, yo, boys. The tale of the Prince of Bel-Air. In West Philadelphia, born and raised, the playground is where I spend most of my days. Just chilling out, maxing, relaxing, all cool, shooting some b-ball outside of the school. When a couple of fellas, both up to no good, start to make trouble in my neighborhood. Got in one little fight, and my mother got scared, said you'll move with your uncle and aunt in Bel-Air. Now roll, boys, yo, boys, a story with characters rare. Oh, row, boys, and yo, boys, the tale of the Prince of Bel-Air. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 